Hello once again to all our regular listeners, and if this is your first time finding us, a very warm welcome to Four at the Back. We've been away for a little while, but we thought we couldn't start a new Premier League season without taking a look at the runners and riders and seeing what's going to happen over the next few months. We're expecting Maz to join us a little bit later on, maybe, but for the time being, uh, Neil, it's just you and me tonight. Two at the back, absolutely. Yeah, um, looking forward to looking forward to this. It's like um, going to be the first sort of normal seeming season in a couple of years, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, and it's, I mean, Euro, Euro 2020 in 2021 offered us a little bit of normality when you start to see some crowds towards the end, but, I mean, it's it's going to be back to normal. We've already seen some of these big crowds at Ibrox and things in the, the qualifiers for the Champions League, so the difference between a lot of those group games with limited crowds and what we'll be used to and what is hopefully going to be throughout the season coming up is, is quite massive, really. Yeah, I think one of the big issues is probably going to be player fatigue given that you know in 2020 they didn't finish the season until the end of June didn't start the Premier League season last year until the first week of September you know obviously finished finished this year in in May straight into the Euros so you know there's gonna be a lot of teams especially the teams at the top that had a lot of players playing in the Euros that you know are going to take a little bit of time to find their feet i think um and that does offer some of the mid-table sides some opportunities to to claim a few scalps i think so it could be an interesting beginning and the other thing that we're going to have to factor in on top of that is the return of fans will presumably lead to home advantage having a much bigger say in it than we saw last season where some of those results were absolutely crazy away from home yeah yeah i mean obviously you think about about uh, Spurs thrashing United at Old Trafford and things like that. Like, you know, probably not something which uh, might have happened under normal circumstances. Yeah, it's not something you expect to see with nearly 80,000 people baying for blood in there. It's the, if, if nothing else, just because the kind of you know subconscious effect that it has on, on players in the kind of cautiousness with which they might play and on referees as well. Well, yeah, the ref- referees going to be a, it's going to be an interesting one. I think, you know, the other thing about the season is that they've made tweaks to VAR based on the good PR that the Euros style of, of video refereeing received. And so they, they've they've said that, you know, there won't be any more armpit decisions or anything like that. They will, you know, go back to the old benefit of doubt to the attacker, which should hopefully, you know, make for more free flowing games and uh would have resulted, I think I read a statistic, something like 40 more goals would have been scored. That's uh, the, the, the the rules that they're going to apply applied last year. There would have been 40 more goals in the Premier League season. So it can only be a good thing. Mm. I mean, essentially what they did at the Euros was just what they've been doing all the other European leagues, which is why if you follow the Liga or the Bundesliga or Serie A, you didn't have this constant, endless replaying of all the decisions every game every weekend there were about as many controversial ones in months worth of the italian league as there was in a single weekend of the premier league so anything that we can do to get i mean i'm a supporter of it always have been but it's the classic thing of if you can trust the english referees to mess anything up it's even having technology they managed to mess that up but i did see something on the lines of the the line the thickness that they draw it now is going to be equivalent to roughly like a whole foot of ground on the on the on the turf so i mean if you are borderline at that point i think it's very hard to really make that much of a case for you're being hard done by i mean at that point it does come down to just time your run better i think i think they've also given 
assistant assistant referees licensed to actually start raising their flag again oh yeah yeah i mean that was irritating wasn't it so i think you know that's going to be because i mean ultimately like i i'm not a big fan of far apart from in that man city game in the champions league when it became <laughs> my best friends you know it's always that it's like when it goes to your team it's great and when it doesn't it's not um but on on the whole i've always just thought like human error is an essential part of sport and that includes the officiating and um uh, you know, it, it takes away a great deal of the the drama and the and the interest. You know, I think obviously there are some things which are no brainer, like you know, goal line technology. Once obviously you know Hawkeye and things have been used so successfully at Wimbledon, like that's a no brainer. Offside, like there's a reason why you have a linesman. Like just don't have a linesman then. You know what I mean? It's kind mm. of uh, it, it kind of makes the whole thing a bit a bit silly. So I, I'm pleased to see that they've actually said you know linesman if they think it's clearly offside they'll raise their flag and it will only get taken to far if it's a clear and obvious error. So that's mm. much better. Yeah, that, that's all what it always should have been. I mean, we can debate the the merits of the other stuff you're saying as a supporter and opponent of, of VAR, but I don't think that's really the point of this no. one, is it? And this, this potentially <laughs> that's a niche a podcast. Yeah, one yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, there's, there's a niche episode where we can't think of anything else to talk about that maybe we can return to then. But uh, shall we have a talk about some of the uh, the, the teams then? And Let's do it. Yeah, so... We took, just to explain for everybody out there, we took the aggregate of where we think everybody's going to come and have worked out almost like on a kind of golf score principle, you know, what kind of roughly where they're going to come in the league on the basis of our combined predictions. So uh, we did all essentially go for the same top four, but to, you know, paraphrase Eric Morecambe, not necessarily in the same order. Uh, We did all put Manchester City as the likely champions at the end of the season which as the reigning champions have just dropped 100 million quid on one player probably not the biggest surprise in the world beyond that there's some dispute about the rest of the composition of how they'll be made up but eventually it went ended up as Chelsea second Manchester United third and Liverpool fourth so they'll be the Champions League places and they're fairly clear as the top four yeah I I think I just think the you know, the spending power of those four clubs is so different to the rest of the league. Like there was a, you know, obviously there was a three or four year period under Pochettino where, you know, where Spurs looked like they were an established top four club. Obviously, that most likely isn't the case now. You know, Chelsea, who slipped away, have obviously... You know, it's like it looked like Abramovich had lost interest. Now he's opened up the checkbook again. He's got a world-class manager, arguably for the first time in ten years. Actually, I guess Conte. So you know, yeah. three or four years maybe. But but um, he's got a world-class manager who has won the Champions League for him. So they've obviously kind of come back into that contention. I think they will challenge definitely. United obviously have, have strengthened significantly with Jaden Sancho and Rafael Varane. I mean, it's hard to argue that's not the two positions that they needed the most. Yeah, exactly. I mean, missing pieces of jigsaw. I mean, Solskjaer's kind of got no excuse now because his first 11 is really, really good. Maybe they're lacking a world-class defensive midfield player. Mm, um, that's Sorry, I was just going to jump in because I was going to say that's the one thought, thing that I thought they were maybe missing out on. And then that maybe would be the excuse because we saw at the Euros how when you have somebody that can 
give Pogba the license to go out and play, that suddenly he looks like a much better player, a much better player than he's ever looked like for United, other than in fits and spurts. And the trouble that they have, of course, is that there just aren't that many Kantes out there. But that did kind of stand out as me, that the difference between playing the likes of an Angolo Kante and, on the other hand, a Fred or a Scott McTominay is maybe the point at which they are a slightly weaker outfit. I like McTominay a lot, but if you watch him play for Scotland, he actually plays for Scotland as an eight and gets fours a lot more. And and actually, there was that game against Leeds where McTominay looked like Zinazine Zidane for a game. (laughs) And and it does maybe suggest that he he might have a future further forward. Um, So, yeah, yeah, there aren't many players like that around. When City bought Rodri, how much did he cost them? £50 million, something like Mm. that. There aren't many players like that around of that class. So I, I think, I mean, obviously Solskjaer seems to trust Fred a lot. I guess we'll we'll kind of see how, how that goes out. I think the other thing, the only thing with United that, that I think might be a problem for them is that Bruno Fernandes, having played the amount of games that he's played in the Euros, just looked shot to bits. Mm-hmm. Like he looked like a shadow of himself and... You know, they've got to find a way to get him a bit more rest because he, you know, he's so important to them. And even in games when he, when they did rest him, he'd come off the bench because they, they, they need him to pull him out of the fire. They've got to find a way to get Van der Beek playing and playing well, because I think if they're relying on Fernandes that much, I, I think I think they're going to they're going to have problems. Do you think that Sancho might ease the burden on him creatively? Yeah, creatively certainly, because that's what Sancho is. Is you know he's not Sancho is not necessarily a a goal scorer, although his numbers are you know decent enough for a for, for a winger. But he is uh, you know his assist numbers are just ridiculous in the Bundesliga over the past three years. So yeah, I, I think that that will definitely help. But I guess the thing with Fernandez is that he was you know he's the one that dictates the tempo. You know he is the he's a leader in that team. He gets the ball. He you know he kind of gets everybody else playing. And that's why they they ran him into the ground. I mean, I'm sure Portugal were not at all pleased with, you know, the, the player that turned up to play for them in the Euros because he hadn't had a moment of rest. No, he was, uh, as you say, shot to pieces. I've gone for them to finish third behind Chelsea, uh, which, as you mentioned, they've obviously got a really great manager now. And I'm basing it on the premise that Tuchel doesn't have one of his explosions. I don't see any reason why you would this quickly, having won the Champions League, and especially if they are able to bring in Lukaku. I think the last I saw about that, they're talking something in the vicinity of about 95 million. So that could be on the cards. I think they'll suddenly be actually quite capable of pushing City reasonably close if that goes over the line. The thing that strikes me is there is that whole season under a genuinely kind of world-class manager on the cards, and they seemed to have City's number a few times. It just makes me think, actually, this could be all down to the quality of, the, of managers will actually end up deciding this top four because you have, obviously, Guardiola at City, Tuchel at Chelsea, Klopp at Liverpool. I'm, I'm not sure quite how much of a rebuild is actually going to be necessary there when they have the players back from last season. Obviously, something of one, but uh, maybe not as as much as, as first thought. But then you obviously have Solskjaer at Man United, and he certainly improved in the Man United job, and not many people get the chance to to develop in a role like that you you generally have to succeed now or not at all but he's got the bit of goodwill from the from the club legend status that he has but 
maybe that's where they will end up being slightly suspect is that even though he is improving, the other three are all already world-class managers. Yeah, if you look at that mini league, it's going to decide quite a lot, isn't it? Uh, Maz, you joining us now? I am, yeah. I was just listening to that conversation. I thought it'd be a good time for me to jump in here. Yeah, I'm pretty much going to say what what you were saying there, really. I think there are question marks still on on Solskjaer. Nobody knows if he's any good or not. I don't even think United fans know if he's any good, even the ones that support him. Sometimes he looks like he's getting there. Sometimes it looks like, oh, he might not actually be cut out for this. Um, as Neil was saying a minute ago, you know, it, it's it's now or never now. That, that There can be no no questions. He's got the players. He's got to make them work. I don't think, I think if they struggle early on, he, he could well go. Um, because a lot of money's been spent. A lot of world-class players have come in. So if if this can't work, he's he's kind of got to get them playing together and playing together quickly. And I think that's where he's going to struggle compared to the other teams. You know, City are already champions, champions by a long way. And, you know, adding Grealish in is obviously a, a big positive. Uh, Chelsea are European champions uh, by hook or by crook or quite how. I'm not sure who knows, but they've got a very good squad and they've improved. Liverpool had a lot of um, injury crisis last year, but let's not forget, I know pre a pre-COVID world seems like an eternity ago at this point. Seems like it may as well be with Arsenal going invincible at this point. But, you know, think how good Liverpool were at that point. And a lot of those pieces are still there. And a lot of those pieces struggled last year. So Van Dijk back, um, getting back to full fitness to lead that defence. You can't rule them out. I think United have got a lot of changes coming in at once and probably the least high profile manager. So they're going to have the most question marks there, which is why I went for them as fourth. It is going to be that. Yeah, it's going to be that mini league, I think, that decides the the title, like who can take points off who. Um, My worry with Liverpool is that they do need a rebuild. Or at least a refresh. Because although the difficulties they had in defence are going to be largely resolved if, if, if Van Dijk and Gomez come back at 100% and obviously they bought Canate, who's a very, very good buy from RB Leipzig. And if, you know, they've, they, I mean, then again, like Andy Robertson is going to be out and they've got Nico Williams, who's quite highly regarded. So I think defensively they'll 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 be okay. Obviously they've got the best keeper in the league, but Wijnaldum I think was a very underrated cog in that team. Uh, he's gone. He's not been not not really been replaced. Although there's talk about Renato Sanchez potentially coming in over there. Mane obviously had a, a down season last year. Is it just a down season, or is it actually he's turning thirty? Is it the start of a bit of a decline? You know, Salah obviously was excellent last season. Firmino was a shadow of himself last season. You know, Jota obviously came in and did very well. But I think there are quite a lot of question marks about Liverpool. The one thing you'd say is that Klopp is the best man manager and best motivator in the league. Like, they came back from the dead to get into the Champions League places last year. They had no right to come back and do that with the team that, that were cobbled together. And they did it largely because of the way Klopp kept them together. 
and, and that's uh, for me almost as big an achievement as Liverpool winning the title or Liverpool winning the Champions League because you know that's a, a patched up side that he, he he sort of took from a very difficult position into the Champions League spot so they've got that in their favour but until the season starts I do think there are quite a lot of question marks about Liverpool. You've actually hit on a number of the things I was going to bring up there because the main one for me is what happens with with Wijnaldum. The I'm not as concerned looking at them. Other, you're right to raise the, you know, the question marks in a couple of areas, Wijnaldum and, and maybe about Mane just kind of tipping over the hill perhaps. But the I sort of look at what they've got and think they won't have a season as bad as they did last year because of just the sheer bad luck that went into it. And... And they still recovered, even after all that bad luck. They still ended up finishing the Champions League places, and most teams, as you say, would have been dead and buried. So I tend to think, with the, just a little bit of good luck and just a normal run of the green, they should be fine at least. Uh, I don't see a title challenge because of all those question marks, but I do see top four fairly handily, and and maybe third, possibly second, if they can get on a bit of a run, perhaps. But although I, I am sort of expecting Chelsea to to put up the main challenge if i'm honest uh we haven't spoken about city hardly at all is it because there's no real point are they just going to run away with it or <laughs> is there uh, anything else to add to that i guess it's still because of that bloody peaky blinders bloody tweet they they posted yesterday or whenever it was did you see that yeah i did it, it was embarrassing yeah ridiculous embarrassing yeah yeah best I mean, ignored then it, it, it's it's theirs to lose, isn't it? You know, like they, they've got two quality players, two world-class players for every position, essentially, haven't they? So, short of a huge collapse, Pep losing the dressing room, or insane levels of injuries, they're the team to beat. Doesn't mean they're not beatable, but they're the team to beat. Yeah, and you know, obviously they they lack a striker. Um, obviously, there's all the speculation swirling around Kane. I'm sure we'll get to that. But ultimately, it looks like they're going in, you know, with with either with Jesus or with Felan Torres um, playing up front, or maybe Sterling. You know, or they can go back to the sort of you know playing De Bruyne as a false nine. Obviously, De Bruyne and Foden are actually injured to start the season. Uh, interestingly, you know, they spent the hundred million on Greenish all the noise coming out of City is that he's going to play as an eight. So he's not going to play where he did for Villa. He's going to play in midfield, which I actually think is his best position because obviously City have got a million people who can play on the wing. Um, they don't need him to play on the wing. You know, what they want is someone to ease the burden on on De Bruyne providing from midfield. And, and I think Grealish is kind of ideally suited to do that. So, yeah, I mean, obviously... The Stones and Diaz um, partnership, you know, Edison and goal. Zinchenko isn't the best left back in the world by any means, but he kind of, because he can go in and play in midfield, he kind of suits that Pep system where the fullbacks basically go in and play defensive midfield in the attacking phase. So he, he kind of suits that. So he kind of works out. Um, Walker had a very good Euros, of course. You know, he's in his 30s now, but doesn't, almost his 30s, doesn't look like he's, he's slowing down pace-wise at all. So, yeah, they look very, very strong. Um, it's going to be tough. But as you say, Tuchel did seem to have Guardiola's number a couple of times. Um, and City, 
do have a slight tendency sometimes to kind of lose those big games against direct rivals. They did against Liverpool a few times as well. So, but what they are is flat track bullies and they never, ever lose to a, to a lesser side, really, apart from that one time to Norwich. But on the whole, if you're like Burnley and you play City, you're getting beat 5-0. And that's what they're just so consistent about rolling over everybody else. Yeah, they did lose to to Brighton at the tail end of last year, but the title was already wrapped up by them, wasn't it? The only thing that I kind of wanted to throw out as a, as a last question on them before we move on is their league top goalscorer last season was, was Gundogan. They've obviously let Aguero go. They are publicly, you know, kind of moved on from from Messi and Kane by the sounds of it. But, you know, privately, they've been chasing Kane for a long, long time. Do you think they need another striker? Or do you think that is a potential Achilles heel? Depends, I think. Like, obviously, they won the league, basically, with Aguero playing little part, with Jesus not really playing that big a part. But, obviously, are you always going to have a season where all of your midfielders and wide players chip in that many goals? Having said but, that, Ster- Sterling had a down year, so maybe he's going to, having had a very good Euros, maybe he's going to, you know, go back to, to his form of the couple of years previously when he scored a lot of goals for them. I was just going to add, are you also going to have another season where all of your rivals have really bad spells? I mean, there was a point where Solskjaer was odds on to be sacked. There was a point where uh, Liverpool looked like they couldn't win a game. There was a point where, well, Chelsea under Frank Lampard, they had a really bad run towards the end of that spell, didn't they? So can they rely on all of their main rivals having the same sort of season? I'm not convinced they can. It'll be more competitive, definitely more competitive than than last season and definitely more competitive than the season before where Liverpool basically had won the league by the time lockdown happened. <laughs> and it was just like a, a yeah, formality true. after that. So, mm. um, yeah, I think definitely there'll be more of a title race. Uh, we'll see how, how, how far it goes. I mean, I, I'm trying to remember the last time, you know, there was actually a sort of a, a title race that went down to the wire. And I guess it'd be that hundred point city season when Liverpool only lost like one game and yet somehow still came second with a points toast that would have won them the league any other year. But even so, City just felt so in control of that that season. Mm. So, yeah, could do something a bit more jittery this time, I hope. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, Liverpool were really gone. strong at the back end of that season, didn't they? Um, they came on really strong at the back. I mean, didn't, didn't both those teams win like 13, 14 games in a row at the back end of the season? No one flinched. Yeah, it was it was it was bonkers, really. Like, I mean, you did think that season maybe you know would Liverpool ever win it, given that you know they had that al- they had an almost perfect season, but City just had a more perfect season. Um, but luckily, they 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 won it the next year. I say luckily depends on your perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, the blue half of Merseyside <laughs> will not be agreeing with you there. <laughs> Okay, so we've got our top four and we don't seem to think there's going to be a tremendous amount of challenge outside of that by the sounds of it. So shall we move on to the next bunch of teams that we've got, the ones who will be rounding out the the contest for Europe? And there's a lot more disagreement in this bunch as to who's going to be in and around it. We start with Tottenham and there's a lot of consensus that they will actually be fifth. The last side that we agree across the board on where they'll finish. From now on out, there's some disagreement. But rounding out the rest of that group, you've got Leicester City, Aston Villa, Arsenal, West Ham, Everton and Leeds. 
in decreasing likelihood that they'll actually kind of make Europe, I suppose. Uh, so, yeah, we've got Tottenham and Leicester to finish roughly where they have been in the last couple of years. An improvement for Villa. Arsenal, not with a tremendous amount of movement here. They kind of are where they were before. And then West Ham, Everton and Leeds rounding out the rest of that group that we expect to be kind of competitive. So, yeah, there's a fair bit to go on there. But I suppose, Neil, we might as well come to you and Tottenham's chances, first of all, under a manager that they ruled out at one point earlier in the summer. And, well, now he's your coach. I mean, it was a 55-day coaching search, which, you know, is... I kind of made us look like a bit of a laughingstock. And obviously, you know, had we, had we made that appointment a year ago when Nuno was still riding high at, at Wolves, I think everyone would have said that was a, a, a good appointment. And so... You know, when I when I actually went away and thought about it, it took me a I took you know it took a day to think about it really, and actually, I concluded at the end of a, a day after we had the appointment that actually no, it's kind of what we need, somebody with a clear style of play, who has good relationships with players, and can you know stabilise the club after the heartbreak of the end of the Pochettino era and the toxicity of the end of the Mourinho era. And actually just make us a team that are in contention for those Champions League spots. Because obviously we've slipped from where we were under Pochettino and it's going to take a bit of time to build that back. And I don't know if it was realistic really to go and court all these world-class managers. Yeah, we could have hired Conte, but... A, he's Mr. Checkbook, and I'm not sure that Levy was ready to be Mr. Checkbook. Uh, and B, yeah, he'd probably have done really well with us, but then he'd been gone two seasons in and then you're back to square one. You know, so I, I think actually it's it's a solid appointment. And, and what's been really encouraging is I've been sad enough to watch some pre-season games and it looks cautiously promising, I would say. I like the transfer business. Uh, so a keeper, you know, Galini to compete with Lloris and Lloris is obviously a little bit on the, a little bit on the decline, whisper it. So a good to, you know, keeper 26, good age for a keeper. Um, has always looked decent for Atalanta whenever I've seen him. Um, so he's on loan for a year. See how he does. Can he? He was one of ours. Was he yours as well? Yeah. Do you remember when Tony Shah? Bought Villa and splashed all that cash that it turns out he didn't have. Oh, Galini, Galini was one of our buys in the championship and just never adapted. I think combination of too young and that's a horrible league for a young goalkeeper to play. And if you're not used to the championship, as you know, it's an absolute madhouse down there. And the refereeing is a little bit laxer than you would be used to in Syria. So yeah, he's, but he's obviously gone on to really good things with Atlanta. So it's uh, it's, it's not like you're taking a Villa Championship reject here. You've got a really good goalkeeper, I think. And not only that, it's like it's not Joe Hart, so, <laughs> so that's a bonus <laughs> as well. Um, you know, Brian Brian Heal from uh, Sevilla looks like a very exciting signing. All the 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 chatter is that he's the Spanish Jack Grealish, so very happy with that. Um, and obviously Romero again. Um, Again, from Atalanta, like outstanding central defender, looks looks absolutely fantastic. Looks like, you know, I watched the, some of Argentina's games in the Copa. He, he looked, there's a bit of Ledley King about him, which can only be a good thing. Um, so really pleased the transfer business, the Kane stuff. 
I mean, obviously the biggest transfer in the summer, if you, if you keep Kane past the end of the transfer window, that's the best transfer that you could have. Ultimately, I think he'll be too professional not to put a shift in as he always does. That front four we've been fielding in pre-season, basically Bergvine, Lucas, Deli and Son, has looked really slick and has played some really nice stuff. You know, Hoybier, great season last year, great Euros. Still need a right back. That's probably the one thing I'd say has to get done by the end of the window. Another centre-half, if you can. But overall, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of quite optimistic about it. Um, obviously, once the games start, you kind of get to see, really. But there's no point being a pessimistic Spurs fan. Like, honestly, what would be the point <laughs> of that? So, yeah, like, I'm kind of, I'm kind of excited. I mean, I went for them to finish where I did, partly on the grounds of the on the verge, if you believe what you read, of signing the the player for Inter that I most liked watching last season's uh, Latoura Martinez, which could come in at around 50 million. Um, Kane, obviously, keeping him is, is massive because he's got that borderline telepathic relationship with Son. You'll obviously be thrilled to have him on uh, a new contract he's, he, that he signed earlier in the summer. Uh, yeah, I... I just don't see too many people being able to live with them, even though they're they're not where they were a couple of years ago. And there's a huge question mark whenever you get a new manager, and this is his biggest challenge to date. And he's going to have to play differently from how he did at Wolves because Spurs fans won't tolerate it, I don't think. Being underwhelmed with the appointments in the first place is one of the things that mean you can't play the same sort of style. But then I don't imagine... He would play the same sort of style with the better players that he will have at Spurs as against Wolves. So it's a question mark, but it's not necessarily a black mark, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't see too many sides being able to live with them. And one of the reasons that I did uh, come up with them in, in fifth fairly comfortably was I, I'd been toying with the idea of Leicester finishing there. But I think the injury to Fafana could be really quite crucial to them. So, so yeah, I think that could be what gives Spurs the edge in the end. Yeah. Um, plus Leicester, the disappointment of just just missing out on the Champions League two years in a row, ugh, that's got to hurt. Like, it's a, that's a really challenging thing mentally to come back from, I think. Yeah, I mean, Spurs, Spurs have, have, have done decent business. They, they've done the business to hold, hold where they are, essentially. You know, I, I, don't, I don't see anyone in or around them you know overtaking them again if they do it's probably going to be a lot more down to the manager and the changing system I would have thought if Spurs are signing Martinez it's as a Kane replacement I I don't really see see, uh, him coming into play with Kane but you know if Kane does go and they have got him lined up I think that's um, pretty much as good as you could have hoped for if you are losing him so they're making they're making good moves. They're replacing, they're bringing you know younger players in um, to replace the older ones who are who are being you know who have left or are being phased out. And it's the right type type of moves they're making. So yeah, good moves to hold post. Breaking news on Leicester. I've just seen uh, Yannick Vestergaard has signed an agreement to join them. So that's their centre half problem sorted out. Okay. It's, uh, I'm not sure that's going to change my prediction too much, but it certainly is going to uh, help them out. 
uh, help them out a great deal. The, the other thing that's kind of hanging over them that could be a, a big important thing is Madison and his future. I suppose we may talk about that in a moment when we get to, to Arsenal, but uh, he's obviously been the kind of really creative player for them. And there was a talk at one point about him being in the England side going into the Euros. Now, eventually, the sheer number of players we had in the same sort of position who do the same sort of job but do it that little bit better meant that he ended up missing out. But if Madison does leave, that is a kind of another hole and it will happen so late in the window at this point that there'd be a struggle to replace him satisfactorily, I think. It would be lost for sure, yeah. You know, he's he's a key part of, of what they're doing there. Um, you know, whether it happens or not is is another question. I'm not convinced. It's interesting because he clearly wants the move. And I mean, let's actually skip over Villa for a minute and we'll come back to them. We'll, we'll move on to, to Arsenal. Um, it's interesting that we actually, as our aggregate, had them beneath Villa in itself. So, I mean, the fact that we've got that as our kind of cumulative prediction and you're not convinced that you can go out and get a player that has already decided that he wants to come and play for you. Um, and that you're already looking to spend all this money on Ramsdale, who got relegated with Sheffield United, having let Martinez go. I mean, this. I mean, we know what you think about Arsenal as a general rule, Maz, but I mean, clearly there's a there's an issue there if Arsenal are looking at another mid-table finish and they can't go out and get get Madison when he clearly wants the move. I mean, is is it just the unwillingness to spend? I don't know. We we seem to be more than bloody happy to spend. It's a lot, you know. We seem to be very interested in paying English tax this year, this summer. I'm not sure why that that's come about. And you know, this isn't this isn't to say that you know I don't think we should sign Ramsdale. That I don't think we should sign Ben White. That I don't think we should sign James Madison. It's just that they're really, really inflated prices for a squad that needs quality players throughout and we're not where we are right now we're, we're not going to get that that champions league level player to come and join us very easily so we we do have to look down the level at the moment sadly it's uh all part of the whole club dropping down the table extravaganza but to spend 70 million on madison 50 million on ben white when I, I, I don't know. I don't know. For me personally, I and I, I think this is where the the whole Madison thing falls apart. Is it's looking like Odegaard might be available again from Real, and I I, I think that's a better option at a cheaper price, to be honest. And that's not me thinking Madison's a bad player. He's a good player, definitely a good player, but. Is he quiet at that level that that Arsenal need if we want to get back into that that you know if we want to be challenging for the Champions League Champions League spots? Um, I don't know. My my preference is Odegaard. There, it's interesting with with Arsenal. Um, I understand the pessimism, Maz, based on the the, the previous few years, but I kind of think they're going to be a lot better than people think. Because when when Arteta's got things clicking, particularly at certain points last year, they they could look really good. Now, what I will say is, having obviously I live in Brighton and 
know a lot of Brighton fans. Um, ben White is a really, really good player. And 50 million for him is going to be cheap. I, I honestly think it, it, that's going to end up looking very cheap. I think I think you're getting a player that's going to develop into a centre-half that's better than John Stones. Potentially could be England's best centre-half in a generation. I, I think he's that good. So, you know, it looks a lot for a young player, but if he works out, that's very, very cheap. I don't really understand the Madison thing in that he basically does what Emil Smith-Rowe does. And, you know, you've got a kid out of your academy who is you know, developing into a top quality attacking midfield player. Do you need Madison? It feels like a that feels like a luxury buy to me, unless you're gonna play him as an eight, which he does do for Leicester a fair bit. Um, but it doesn't feel like a, a position that you need to strengthen. Question marks around Obama Yang and Lacazette, both getting on in years for the style of play that they have. Both can look a bit disinterested at times both on big money. Uh, I think probably if I were if I were an Arsenal fan, God forbid, I would be thinking that actually you need a striker, a younger striker. Well, I think that's why probably Arsenal fans were so annoyed when, you know, after courting Martinez, the Spurs rumour then came out because obviously that would feel like a bit beyond the pale if he would then to go to the lane. But obviously you've got some great kids here at the academy. You've got Saka, you've got Smith-Rowe. The white signing, I think, is a really good signing. Keeper is obviously a question mark. Ramsdale looked really good for Bournemouth, less good for Sheffield United. Leno, world-class shot stopper. Can't do anything else, though. Yeah, it, I, I think sixth is going to be fair for them. I think it, it's just going to it's just going to come down to, to, to Arsenal fans having to be patient because I think Arteta walked into an absolute mess and it's not going to be a one-season fix or a two-season fix or maybe even a three-season fix. I, I think it's got to be a ground-up rebuild, and it might be painful, but I think they've just got to stick with Arteta and see what he can do. I, I'm, I'm, I'm half of that opinion, but I mean, what worries me is it, it seems to be one step forward, two steps back a lot of the time. As soon as I start to think, right, Arteta's there, just it, it, it then appears that he loses the dressing room. He's there, and I, you know, I, I have a sneak into suspicion that you know the whole Lacazette and Aubameyang thing is it. You know, I wouldn't be upset if we if we sold Aubameyang and, and bought in Martinez. I, I, I wouldn't be upset at that move because I think it's the type of thing we knew we need. And you know, I wouldn't be upset if we really put a lot of stock in these youngsters right now. So we, we talked about, you know, Madison, Odegaard potentially coming back, obviously ML Smith Rowe there. But, you know, I, I've been looking at giving Willock a chance as well. I mean, look what he did for Newcastle at the end of the season. You know, obviously it looks like, he, is, is he actually signed? He's yet? gone, yeah. He's actually I, gone. I didn't think they'd gone through. I, I thought the, the, the fee was agreed. The fee's been agreed, yeah. Yeah. 25 million. But yeah, you know, well, you know, that's it. I'd be looking at uh, giving him a chance before spending seventy on, you know, three times what you're getting for him on Madison. That that that's just me. But I'd I'd be pushing these youngsters. I want us to get, you know, I'm glad Louise has gone. I can kind of understand why we brought him in when when we did. But we've got to change things up. We've got to get Arteta's got to stamp his 
put his stamp on this team now. You know, it can't be what was left the fingers, guys. It can't be this, that and the other. I think we've got to move past that uh, and he's got to build this. But he needs to show some leadership this season is what I think, because that's what I don't think he has done so far. He's not he's not seen like a, a strong leader for the club. And that club needs a strong leader right now to get us out of the mess we're in. Uh, and start, you know, if we're to move back where where uh, uh, our fans think we belong, uh, that needs to happen. And, you know, the fact that we've got now, uh, it, it's a bit bloody, a bit bloody late. It, we, we could have done with having this, you know, 50 million to spend on this one, 70 million to spend on this one, two, three, four seasons ago, you know, and we, we might not have um, fallen to the place we're at now. But, you know, it is what it is at this point. And we, if that money's there, we've got to spend it wisely. We cannot throw it away. Brighton fans, Leeds fans as well. Ben White sounds like a really, really good prospect, but it's still a lot of money on someone that is just a prospect when you've got serious, serious defensive woes, <laughs> you know. And, you know, I don't know what the answer is. I'm not saying we shouldn't have signed him. You know, I, I don't know who we could have signed. We, we're not going to get Varane. We're not going to get Sergio Ramos on a free, you know. So, you know, we've got we've got to go after who who we can get. But can I jump in a sec, Maz? Because yeah. one of the uh, one of the long-standing things that we've had whenever we've spoken about like, Arsenal over the last oh god, I hate to say fifteen years, but I mean it is probably that kind of distance now. Is that it's not so much the personnel and the defence that's the problem as whoever you put in the midfield in order to shield that defence. I mean, is that something that maybe could be an area that you need to explore still? I don't think so. I think Thomas has had some injury problems, hasn't he, since he's joined. So we've not got what we wanted from him yet. We've not seen what what he can do yet. And unfortunately, he's injured again. So, you know, there's that again. The whole love-hate-Granit-Zaka thing is... is uh, it seems like it's going to go on forever. You know, he had a very good Euros, but, you know, it's going to be the same again. He, he's going to have a couple of good games here or there, and then he's going to have an absolute useless at other points. As much as I've got over the whole, all, all the shenanigans that happened when he was captain and everything that came from that, you know, that's behind us now. But, you know, I think it was probably a good moment when someone was throwing the money at us to, to take that and move on. But, like you said with United, there's not a whole abundance of defensive minded midfielders out there these days in the game that are at that level. And with us being that level down, we've got to take risks on people. And bizarrely, this is, would be a perfect time for young Arsene Wenger to come in and use his uh, scouting and find the next Patrick Vieira like he did with the first one. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. We, we've yeah. got this, this kid from... Uh, from the Belgium league, haven't we? So uh, he 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 might he might have a little something about him. Get some steel in that team. It's what we need. So we've got Arsenal to finish eighth overall as the kind of cumulative score based based on all our predictions. What's it going to take based on the side that they've got in now? Assume no more business. What's it going to take for them to do better than that? Do you think? Well, I had them sixth, so <laughs> so I was a bit more a bit more confident they'd do well. Um, I I just think they need 
they need a settled 11. They all need to commit to Arteta's style of play and they need to play together because I think that's what you haven't always seen. You haven't always seen that Arteta style and pressing and the cohesiveness. Like it, you've seen it on occasions and when you have seen it, they've looked like a good team. They've got to kind of just do that. They've got to do that consistently, I think. But I think, like I say, I think they'll surprise people. I think they'll be a lot better than than their bill does. I mean, you know, here's the thing: it, it, it's it. We should, you know, still, regardless of where we are, this, regardless of all my pessimism, we should. We're still Arsenal. We still have the level of quality players that we, you know, we should be within a couple of points of Spurs come the end of the year. You know, anything. Anything less than six is still an absolute disaster for Arsenal, even at the moment uh, in in the lows we're experiencing. We should still finish six. I just, you know, I just don't have the faith in, in everything that's going on right now. And I'm really hoping that um, Arteta proves me wrong at some point. But, you know, if we do finish six, it still won't be a good season. And that, that that's the dilemma that we're in right now. I just don't know what it will take for Arsenal to to get to where we need to be, and you know how long it should take, and how we're going to get there. I, I, like I say, I'd rather we just get rid of all the big players who are on big money, bring in youngsters, bring in some quality players, and let them let them grow. Let this team. I'll be a lot happier to see us finish sixth and seventh, sixth, sixth or seventh, but you know with a focus on the youngsters this season and see if we can build on that. I'd rather see that than see us finish fifth with just back and forth, back and forth all season and no consistency. I think a lot of fans, regardless of who they support, want to see the idea of how they might progress. They want to see a clear narrative, if for the lack of a better term, in terms of like, well, you can believe that we're building towards something rather than a league finish that has no continuity, if that makes sense. The team that we've got to finish above them to to come seventh in this kind of list is Villa. And as they're my team, I suppose I'd better be quiet for a minute and let you guys kind of weigh in before I kind of react to that. Otherwise, we'd be here all night as I wax lyrical about them. So, yeah, there's obviously a bit of debate in this. We've got but we do all have them finishing top half and they've spent a fair bit of money. There's obviously the massive question mark about the captain talisman leaving, but uh, Chance, Villa's chances. I, I think you've signed some very good players. Knowing that Greedish was going, would you have spent that money if he wasn't? I, I don't know. Now that that money's come in, is is there another signing on the way? I don't know. But you know, it, it's good business. What 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 you've done in this window is good business. You obviously got the best goalkeeper in the world last year at a knockdown price. But I'm not going to moan about that anymore until. The next episode, where I'm sure it will come up again. You, you've got a good team, you something to build on. And as much as Grealish was your captain, your best player, he, you know, done wonders for you. You've got other players that, that can play in that team as well. And you've brought in some good players. And I think, I think Villa are building something. <laughs> like you were just saying, Pete, about you know wanting to see progression. I think Villa this year and the fact that we've aggregated them in this position rather than saying, oh no, they've lost their best player, they're going to be in relegation trouble, speaks a lot. 
about you know what's going on at that club and um yeah big fair play to them coming out with the uh with with that announcement about you know how the whole Grealish thing went down as well I thought that was fantastic great transparency there with with the fans I'd appreciate that a hell of a lot if I was a Villa fan and yeah I think it's little things like that that that, that do help you feel a bit positive about it I'd be feeling pretty positive right now despite losing Grealish if I was a Villa fan I think they're going to be really good. You know, you've made really steady progress, haven't you? You, you? you came up in the playoff final, stayed in the league by the skin of your teeth, then big jump forward last season. And, and you know, like, obviously ambitious owners and the signings, I mean, you know, they're very exciting signings. Like, Leo Bailey, that's a player who... I was surprised would Leverkusen would let go. Like he's electric. Like he's he's absolutely rapid. He's got a shot like a cannon. He's tricky. He's always a threat. Would help you play on the counter if you want to. Then on the other side, you've got Buendia, who is kind of like, I guess he's like the the bargain version of Sancho, you know, a, a wide creator, lots of assists, classy footballer. You know, you'd imagine that, you know, you're going to have McGinn play a little bit further forward. Now, Greenish isn't there. Danny Ings coming in uh, gives you another option alongside Watkins, gives you the option to play two up top. You know, Ings also has played a little bit as a 10 earlier in his career. Certainly at Burnley, he did a little bit. So, uh, you know, it, it looks it looks really, really good. Your back four is solid. You've got a great keeper. I mean, it must be very exciting. And I know that Villa fans are a funny bunch and have a, a tendency towards pessimism. But, you know, even with losing Grealish, like the reinvestment of the money, you can't argue with it. Um, they, look, they look set to have a really solid season. And, you know, like, depending on which way the wind blows, they could finish anywhere from... From fifth to eighth, but I don't think they're much below that. Yeah, it's um, even for the, as you say, the very pessimistic Villa crowd. And and that's a West Midlands thing, actually, as a general rule, unless there's reasons to be massively optimistic. All of the West Midlands fans tend towards that kind of same same attitude. Uh, It's quite funny, really. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of positivity, really, all things considered. And one of the things that really swung it was. The same kind of time as that Perslow thing you were talking about, Maz, where they they had that really open discussion about the Grealish thing, was the announcement the same day that Grealish was clearly about to move of the Ings transfer out of nowhere, where they just clearly done it, they kept it secret, and and they just said, oh, by the way, we've signed Danny Ings, who's a player that everybody seems to to want, and there was talk about being a... Um, a good mo- uh, player to move for for some of these sides in the Champions League. So we were we were thrilled to get that. And it made sure that any of the animus from the Grealish transfer stayed with the player and didn't transfer over to the club and the owners and the direction. And it, it got rid of all that negative narrative of us as a kind of selling club. And all we do is sell our best players to either Man City or Man United, which had been something that goes back all the way to the sale of Gareth Barry, I guess. No, it's really positive as uh, on the whole. I think we could do some really good things. Yes. It's like you said earlier on about, uh, is there any point being a pessimistic Spurs fan? I mean, the way Villa have gone the last five years, 
from almost being out of business to where we are now, the attracting players like Bailey and Buendia and, you know, is there any point being pessimistic at this point? If there was, I might as well give up watching football, you know. We're going to be all right uh, is the main thing. Top half finish easily, I would have thought. You know, we had a really good season last year and in most seasons it would have been good enough to qualify for Europe based on the points total and we still came 11th. So the way I see it, a lot of those teams aren't going to be as good. I think we've made a big step forward. And I still think there is more business to come. Several of those players, Buendia, the return of Ashley Young, those were all done before the Grealish thing was really confirmed because although Grealish was clearly after the move from before the Euros, there was a belief in the Villa hierarchy that we could maybe almost wait it out, uh, which obviously didn't happen. But the, some of those subsequent ones are obviously been paid for with the Grealish money. But those first couple that were still 30, 40 million pounds worth of expense, those were done just on the basis of, you know, this is what the, the new owners put in. So when you add that, when you add Gilbert coming back from his loan in France and he did really well for Strasbourg and, and all these other things, we're now too deep in every position. And you couldn't say that about us last year where we had 15, 16 first team players and the rest of the time we were supplementing in and around it with squad players in a euphemistic term and kids on top of that. So, so yeah, we may not end up seventh, but we won't, as you say, we won't be too far off it. That's my kind of take on it anyway. I'm rambling now. Does anyone want to kind of say anything else on Villa or shall we just move on? No, I mean, sneaky bit of row again. <laughs> that was a bit odd. That was a bit odd, wasn't it? I mean, I think... I almost think that was a flex to almost say, like, we're on your level. We can have one of your players. <laughs> I think it was uh, his agent playing Arsenal. Yeah, quite possibly. The, the simple fact is that he's a guy who's played half a season and he's now one of Arsenal's top earners. Yeah, we're obviously interested because he's a, he's a great player, but he got everything he wanted out of that deal and he had never had any real intention of moving to Villa. I think that's some really good agenting and uh, I'd be a little pissed off if I was an Arsenal fan, I think. I do, Yeah, I do think the boy is a, a, a super player though. Yeah, yeah, you know, he, he let's see him earn that money now. Uh, let's see him get the chance to earn that money as well. I, I, I really hope to see Saka and, and Smith Rowe play a lot of football this year. Yeah, actually, yeah, I think that's, that's one point that does need he'd mention is they're both brilliant young uh, English footballers and the national team needs them to do as well as much as Arsenal do. Uh, I know obviously you're traditionally would be club before country and every every time, but, you know, Saka did brilliant in his chances for England and he's only going to do better as he gets older. And the more he plays for Arsenal, a club with that kind of pressure, that kind of profile, the better. And exactly the same for ESR. So just rounding out the... I won't call them the top half because there's more than 10 teams in it. But we did have West Ham, Everton and Leeds, also kind of teams that could, if things go right for them, press for the, the European places. The uh, I suppose the, the big thing to focus on out of the three of those is the massive change from Carlo Ancelotti leaving and Rafa Benitez coming into Everton, which is a big surprise. But, uh, you know, West Ham did really well last year and there's going to be question marks about how well they keep their players and, and whether or not they can repeat the same sort of profile. And then and then Leeds, we all went for them to be very safe in mid-table again. So, so yeah, uh, three big, big clubs with a lot of expectation. And uh, I don't think too much has to go right for them to actually slightly outperform what we've said here. Good teams. I would say West Ham are the ones I would say might struggle to recreate quite how good they were last season i think if you look at moy's teams historically they'd have like 
those Everton teams would have a season where they'd almost be Champions League and they'd have a season where they were not quite as good again. So, but obviously, yeah, they've kept their players. So, you know, every chance they, they, they could be that good again. Everton, you know, Everton could be awful or they could be really good. I don't know if there's that much in between for them. Benitez, if he gets them playing his way, they won't let in many goals. I don't know, him and Everton fans, that could get toxic really, really quickly. Um, so, we'll have to see what it's going. Somebody dug up a, like a tweet from uh, the Everton Twitter account. It must have been, it was like 2009 or something. And, uh, and the tweet was like, the Everton support are now suggesting that Benitez changed career, because obviously they used to call him Fat Spanish Waiter. You know, that used to be the chart at Goodison when they play Liverpool. So I thought that was quite funny that somebody dug that up and retweeted it. Um, so yeah, that could get bad. Leeds, I mean, again, <laughs> it's Bielsa, so they could like be unbelievable or it could go horribly wrong, second season syndrome. But I hope for the league's sake that they're, they're as much fun this year as they were last year. I, I don't think realistically they're challenging the, the Leicesters and the and the Spurs and the Villas and the Arsenals, but but they'll be there or thereabouts. Yeah, I think that's pretty well summed up. I, I think what you've got here are three very good managers. Moyes has obviously got, got a little bit of a second win and had a really good season last year. Yes, they're not going to do as well as they did last year. I don't, I don't think anyone really expects them to, but that was a pleasant surprise. So if they can, you know, use that to stay mid-table team for the next few years I, I think they'd, they'd be happy with that a few years without having to fight a relegation battle will be a, will, will be a positive <laughs> who knows maybe they could build on it Everton's the the big question mark isn't it you know I, I think Benitez has proven time and time again that he, he is a very 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 good manager uh, you think think about what he did at Chelsea when when they didn't want him either Poor guy. Has he ever got a job that has anyone ever been happy about in joining their club? But, you know, Liverpool were happy back in the day, but that was a long time ago. Yeah, Uh, I I think I think he can do a good job there. It just a lot depends on what the fallout of, of, you know, the previous regime is, you know, how. How much will he have to do in terms of man management? That, that'll be a big question. So, you know, they've got a squad of players who, you know, could very well finish, mid ta- uh, you know, in, in that upper mid-table um, part of the league. So, you know, it's whether he could just bring it all together and, and that change can go well. Yeah, Le- Leeds are just fun, aren't they? It's a team that nobody likes, uh, but they are actually quite likeable. And it's a bit strange. Historically, should I say, nobody likes, but... You know, everyone was kind of happy to see them back. And uh, after watching them last year, I think everyone's like, OK, yeah, this is maybe a new Leeds. Uh, maybe they can get Phillips to just start booting people and studs down uh, Achilles and all that. Make them a bit more Leeds-like next year. We obviously looked at one of the only other likeable Leeds sides in our lifetime in, uh, in season one uh, for at the back when they had the uh, the O'Leary babes. And uh, in a sense, this is kind of what they're doing now, only they're doing it in a more all-round likeable way because it's 
just mad and it's entertaining, but there's none of that massive spending, which is a lot more taboo now than it was in the the first uh, the first flourish of Leeds' uh, popularity, for the lack of a better term. By the way, Barcelona currently doing a very good Ridsdale impression. Yes, <laughs> true enough, true enough. Uh, yeah, I, I tend to think they'll all be fine. You're right in, in terms of saying that they could go badly wrong. I sort of think that Moyes West Ham looked the closest to Moyes Everton of all the sides that he's had since. He seems to have recreated them in much the same image and to much the same effect. So I think they'll do okay. Benitez, as Maz just pointed out, really good manager. There's a lot to work with there. Right? I just expect that some of the fancy Dan players that haven't really performed may not get too much of a game and they'll go back to being very organised and do what the manager says and it'll be an uninspiring team, an uninspiring season but they'll do very well and Leeds will be Leeds and that's about all you can say about the moment they will be mad and they will lose stupid games and win stupid games and play a part in a lot of stupid games but stupid games are kind of fun that's really what it's about if you can't win the league or, or or kind of compete on those big European nights the next thing you can do is be a reason for fans to pay the money to go to the ground and I think Leeds do that in a way that not too many other Premier League sides do just beneath that cluster of teams we have two that we don't think are going to be in any kind of relegation difficulty and then after that everybody else is someone that one of us thinks is going to be in the bottom fight so it's quite interesting because we've got Crystal Palace and Southampton as relatively safe. And obviously Palace have just seen Roy Hodgson leave and they've got Patrick Vieira in, which is a big transition. And Southampton have seen Danny Ings leave for Aston Villa. They've seen, uh, it sounds like they want to see uh, Leicester take the big centre-half. I mean, there's big transitions at both clubs and yet we both seem to think that they'll be fine. So, yeah, I mean, is there any reason for them to be worried or are they just going to be kind of in that middle-of-the-pack grouping? I really like the business that Palace have done. You know, I, I think they, they've they got rid of a lot of older players, Deadwood, Cahill's gone, Van Anhalt's gone, Andros Townsend's gone, Sacco's gone. They brought in uh, Michael Alise from Reading, Mark, uh, Mark Gay from Swansea, you know, Conor Gallagher from West Brom. Joe Tim Anderson, um, who was really good for Fulham last season. You know, they, they've, they've bought, I think they've bought really well, really smartly. There's an identity behind the players that they're buying. I think Vieira, of all of Wenger's players, seems to be the one who wants to recreate Wenger ball. <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know, he obviously had a bit of a difficult time in Nice, but he's gone to the MLS. He's kind of, you know, he's... He's worked his way for this opportunity, and I mean, I, I, I kind of, I kind of think they'll be good. Like you know, Etze obviously is injured to start the season, um, but they still got Zaha. Yeah, they might struggle to score goals to begin with, but you know, you can kind of see that what Arteta's trying to do at Arsenal, Vieira's kind of starting to do at Palace. And I tell you what, if Palace are good next season. Arteta probably needs to have a look over his shoulder because the Arsenal fans are going to want Vieira. 100% miss. And that's it. You know, I I want Vieira. And the reason why I want Vieira, and I'm not saying I want him now, but I've always had my eye on Vieira. Vieira is, to me, that, that Arsenal spirit. And I do understand that that doesn't necessarily make a good manager. 
Otherwise, you know, Tony Adams would have been in the job <laughs> for, for, for a while now. However, I really want I really want Vieira to succeed and I really want Palace to succeed. You know, I'm a South London boy as it is. I went to school uh, with Palace as, as the, the nearest club to where I grew up. So lots of Palace fans. I spent a lot, a lot of time at Selhurst back in the day. So I, I, I naturally like Crystal Palace anyway. With Vieira there, I want him to do well. I really want him to do well. And, you know, as Neil's saying, if he if he's doing well and Arteta's hiccuping, it's not going to take long at all for the fan base to to be calling for, for Vieira to come in. And, you know, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that, that Alice could finish above Arsenal this year. You know, it's unlikely, but it's it's certainly not out, out of the realms of possibility. That said, there's a long way to go. Vieira has a lot to prove as a manager, which is why it's not there yet, but he's got a good, very good opportunity. I'm glad to see him get it, and I really hope he does well. A for him, and long term for Arsenal. I think with, with, with Saints, it could go quite badly wrong for them, because obviously they've lost some key players. I mean, I mean it looks like Vestergaard's going to Leicester, uh, Ings has gone to Villa. But I just trust Hassan Hussle. I just think he's a really good coach. Obviously, they play an all-action pressing style, which can mean their squad gets a bit thin. But I think they're trying to get Minamino uh, permanently from Liverpool, which would be a great signing for them. I've seen they're in for a few other players as well. Uh, so I tend to think Saints will be fine. And although they could get sucked into trouble if they go on a bad run to start the season... I I just trust the coaching there. Yeah, I think that's the the strength of it is that Hassan Hootel is a uh, while he's a bit of an acquired taste as a coach, he's clearly very tactically sophisticated, and he comes through that system. The German coaches where they do all know what they're doing. There's going to be no Mike Bassetink with his uh, approach. That it will all be thought out, even if he slightly alienates a few people along the way. The one thing that could be quite crucial to to me is that I've seen that both Villa and Tottenham are still hovering around James Ward-Prowse. I think he's a great buy for either of us, to be honest. Yeah. And if they do lose him, I would start to worry. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, But as long as they keep him, and especially if they can add Minamino permanently, as you say, uh, yeah, you have a hard time seeing them being sucked in. If anything, you'd be more likely to see them overachieve and be pulled back I think uh, that would be the more likely of the of the two and they've had opportunities to dispense with Hassan Hootel through poor form in the past and they've stuck with him I, I tend to think that Southampton's owners tend to be fairly savvy in that regard yeah perhaps more savvy yeah. yeah perhaps more savvy than some fans are in, in some respects so we we've had outcry about changes of managers but they, they tend to get it right so I think that James Ward-Prowse transfer and what happens in the next couple of weeks could be really interesting because if it does go through at this stage, it might be with no time to replace him, which could be a a significant blow. Uh, But what's interesting is that that is the last side where none of us have picked them to either finish 17th or relegated. Everybody from this point, one of us thinks will either be the last team to survive or in the bottom three. So 
the next three that we have going down are Newcastle, Brighton and Wolves. Now, uh, just before I turn this over to, to everybody to kind of talk about, I just want to point out that Joe couldn't be with us tonight. He is actually protesting. He's not taking part in the show because he's protesting the lack of investment on behalf of the Newcastle board. So, yeah, we'll, he'll be back. He'll be back in the future. But Newcastle haven't really done a tremendous amount of business over course of the course of the summer. They seem to have put all their eggs in the Joe Willock basket. And it looks like they're going to get their man, but potentially at the expense of the rest of the squad. They play really well at the end of the season, but they did, they, they did that the season before as well. They've got they've got flair players, you know. They've got Sam Maximan. They've got, you know, well, it looks like they're getting Willock. Oh, they've got the lad from Paraguay, whose name suddenly escapes me. <laughs> but um, they Almiron. Um, but you know, they they lack a consistent goal scorer unless Callum Wilson can kind of recover recover his his Bournemouth form. Bruce will have them well organised. I think you're looking at a very similar season this season there'll be times when they play the most unbearable football there'll be the 12 p.m bt sport game that you'll you'll take one look at the fixture and say no i'm not watching that i'm not watching newcastle burnley on on a saturday afternoon no thank you um (laughs) but but i think you know it, it will they go down they might do but i think they're probably most likely to finish about 16th aren't they yeah, I think they'll they'll just be a little bit too good, have a little bit too much for four, three or four of the other teams down there, uh, and I think that's what it will boil down to. Sam Maximus is fantastic, you know. If they they're getting Willikin, who's helped them out, and like Neil says, if they can get someone scoring some goals, then yeah, I, I think they'll just have that little bit too much quality for. Yeah, a couple of the teams down there. You know, that doesn't mean they can't go on an absolute madness and, and go down, though. They have to be careful. They've got a great set of keepers as well. Like, three, all three of their keepers could start for most Premier League teams, which is a pretty good problem to have. I think you've got to take off your hat as well, because, I mean, Almiron was actually the best player last season, I thought. Better even than Sam Maximan, even though he didn't have the the flashiness and the, and those odd moments, um, mainly because he played more. Uh, I, I guess you would put it down to, but he he fit that system better and played really really well. But the other thing is is Wilson, although he wasn't Bournemouth Wilson for the lack of a better term, even playing in that side who played some of the most turgid football you will ever see, he still managed twelve goals. I mean that's not a bad return for that that kind of side. I mean, as a general rule, 12 Premier League goals is kind of what you expect for a mid-table decent scoring striker and he managed it. So, yeah, that is the thing that the other teams will have to deal with is that there are three or four players there that will probably be better than any of the other sides that we're about to mention. I'm willing willing to bet, uh, or at least that they can't boast three or four players at that level. So, yeah, Newcastle, Brighton and Wolves were the three. Uh, Wolves have obviously had the big changeover in manager. They've got Bruno Lager in there. Uh, things could go very badly wrong for them. I think they're in trouble. I think they're in desperate trouble. Truly, truly think that. So many question marks there. Jimenez, what an absolutely awful injury. You saw how bad they were without him. Like, I don't think anybody quite realised the importance that that he had for that team until he went down and then they 
from that moment on, they just looked a shadow of themselves. Um, Jota, obviously, was a very important player for them as well. Obviously, they, you know, they've still got some, some some very good players in the midfield, classy players. But Moutinho, he's really getting on now, didn't quite look the same last season. Ruben Neves, how long before somebody from the top six comes and cherry picks him? From anywhere might come in for him at any point. Um, and then, you know, obviously Nuno played a five at the back for quite a long time at, at, at Wolves. But but what is the new manager going to do? Because if you're going to play a flat back four, you can't play Connor Cody. I think that was fairly obvious from his England displays in the summer. It's I think it's a really tricky one. I think they could go. It is worth adding that optimism is actually quite high in the Wolves camp based on their pre-season. Not necessarily optimism of they're going to be finishing at the height of where they did under Nuno, but progress on last season is something that they're kind of talking quietly about targeting. I get the impression from pre-season they're talking about playing a three with the wing-backs kind of interchanging with inverted wide forwards. As a, as a possibility going forward. And there's a couple of young kids that they're really kind of thinking could come through and be guys that potentially are game changers for them and maybe will net them big transfer fees in the future. Because I think even though they're owned by wealthy, uh, wealthy companies now, Wolves are still very much a club that wants to be sustainable in that future regard and selling on players is a big part of that. So uh, Morgan Gibbs-White is a name I've seen mentioned quite a lot after pre-season. Uh, but yeah, it's hard to escape that sense that things could go quite badly wrong for them. The idea of playing a much more attacking, aggressive form of football, which is what Lager has promised, with that aging midfield. It's potentially a contradictory situation unless they find some way to manage it, isn't it? I mean, Moutinho, oh God, when did you first see him? I mean, he's not a, he's not a spring chicken anymore. I mean, he played he? in Euro 2004, didn't he? Yeah, <laughs> I like, mean, yeah. You don't want him in a pressing game, do you? No, I mean, I, I, have, to say, I have to say, I saw an interview with the new manager and I, and I was really impressed by how he came across. But I mean, how many of these handsome Portuguese coaches have we seen come through now? It's a bit like you never know like what you're getting. Because obviously, like, you know, Marco Silva is back at Fulham now. And it's a bit like <sighs> Marco Silva plus Tony Khan at Fulham. Like, oh. I mean, just you know line up i mean I'd, I'd rather watch that than his wrestling company um I, I, shall we do a championship preview at some point because that will be <laughs> that will be an entertaining conversation but but you know it's 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 like these portuguese managers like they can be really really good like obviously i think nuno is proven to be really good obviously Mourinho at his peak uh, and then you've got marco silva who keeps getting jobs despite very little evidence that he can play he can have any kind of sustained success but he keeps getting jobs I guess we'll see which one of those Largo is. Mm, yeah. Uh, the other side that we've got doing better than they did last year is, is Brighton. That's a really interesting one, given that they've sold Ben White for 50 million. But we've got them kind of solidly mid-table, I guess. Well, I say solidly mid-table. One of us has them going down. But generally, it's solidly lower mid-table if you take the average. And I guess that means that uh, we think Graham Potter is doing a good job. He's doing a brilliant job. I mean, the, the noise down here is basically if they had a centre forward, they would be where Leeds are. That's the, the the general vibe in Brighton is that 
they're incredibly happy, much happier than well under Hewton. Like I think they appreciate what Hewton did for the city and did um, in bringing them up. But that style of football, you know, it, it, it was very unambitious. It was kind of like just let's just keep our heads above water. And obviously Potter, I mean, you had that great moment last season when they did beat City. Um, yeah, the great moment where he, him and Guardiola talking after the game. Guardiola says, I, I would like to play in Graham Potter's team as a player. There's no higher praise than that. They do just need a goal scorer, unfortunately for them. Now, if they can take that 50 million they got for Ben White and they can buy a goal scorer, I think you'll see them do really, really well. They could, I mean, they could finish anywhere between 8th and 16th, I think, but I think they're in no danger of going down whatsoever. There is always going to be an issue when you're relying on Neil Mope for goals, isn't there? He's a great, willing presser and a brilliant troll. But yes, he does sometimes forget the shooting boots. If if Brighton are to struggle, that will again be that be their issue. Because other than that, I look at this side and I think there's a lot of talent there and a tremendous amount of organisation. And there are several sides who would want Graham Potter to be their manager. Uh, I know that in that 54-day Spurs research that you were talking about, there was brief kind of comments about yeah, he, taking he, over there. He turned us down because we're not big enough. <laughs> I think he wants, <laughs> to stay, he wants to stay at Brighton until uh, until he gets like a big boy job, is, is, was the, uh, which is, you know, which is credit to him. It's ambitious. Um, yeah. I, you know, he, I think, right, on this bottom half of the table, Thomas Frank, Graham Potter, Daniel Fark, right? I would take those three managers over the every other manager in that bottom half. And it might be the difference for those three teams. Like, can Brentford and Norwich compete on a squad depth? From a squad depth perspective, maybe not. But I know who I'd like to watch play football. And it's, it's Brighton, Norwich and Brentford. So... You know, you might see a situation where the very unambitious football that a Burnley and Newcastle play is going to blow up in their face. Um, I think Norwich are better defensively than they were when they came up last time. I think Fark has learned a lot from the experience. You know, Brentford have got a striker. They have got somebody that looks like he might come up to the Premier League and score goals in Tony. I don't know. Everyone thinks Brentford are Norwich dead and buried. I'm not so sure. No, uh well, that's a good point as I need to move on. I'll just finish that up by saying it looks like, if anything, we think Brighton will be in that thing, but could be looking up. Whereas Wolves, you look kind of think they might be out of it, but looking down in a sense in terms of you don't expect them to overachieve, but Brighton maybe will be the opposite way around and maybe they could do a little bit better than we've said here. Uh, that does lead us to the bottom four. I'll start by flipping it. We'll go with reverse order. We, we generally all have Watford going down. I hate to be pessimistic, and if there's any Watford fans listening to this, I'm sure you can come up with a reason why we're wrong, but everybody has Watford finishing 19th or 20th. Then the rest of that in kind of reverse order would be Brentford, and then on exactly the same score, which could be really interesting coming out the last day, Norwich and Burnley. Now, Burnley are obviously established, and they've been taken over by these big American owners, but they haven't spent a great deal, and there's been this swirling kind of story around Dwight McNeil and whether or not he'll be leaving. And Norwich came up at a canter and playing really good football and they stuck with the manager and there's all this other stuff going around. But again, there's this 
big transfer story around Todd Cantwell as well. So I don't know if it's going to come down to which one of their play- best players actually leaves. I don't know if it's that simple, but it does look like if we are right, then Watford are probably doomed. Brentford will make a good fist of it, but ultimately go down. And then it could be a really interesting battle between some established Premier League sides like Burnley and then Norwich as well. And judging by the tiebreaker thing I've put on, I actually got Norwich to stay up. But I mean, it's by the smallest of margins. I mean, I, I've actually got a Burnley Watford Wolves bottom three. I, I do think Brentford and Norwich will probably surprise some people. It, it it will come down to injuries. I think neither have necessarily got a squad if 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 they get injuries to key players, or yes, if a Cantwell gets picked off, or if an Ivan Tony gets picked off at Christmas, then and that's that's different. But I just think Burnley, since they got into the Europa League that time, they haven't they haven't kicked on. Dice has been there a long time with the same players. It is starting to feel like it's starting to feel quite stale and we saw what happened with Bournemouth and with Eddie Howe when it got stale they went from a very well run very comfortable Premier League club to going down in quite abject fashion Burnley were not good last season they were pretty poor I don't you know Dyche obviously knows what he's doing but at the same time like I just don't I don't look at that squad and think that they've got enough, even with him being a good manager. And even if you don't think that his voice has got stale, and I do think his voice has got stale, and I do think the owners secretly want a more glamorous style of football. So he could he, he could be sacked. So, I mean, and then you're in caretaker manager territory and who knows what happens after that. Watford, I honestly don't know enough about, but they have this revolving door of managers. You can never keep up with it. Uh, but it still looks like they rely on Troy Deeney too much. Having said that, Watford v Arsenal, I will look forward to that game just to see Troy Deeney's annual trolling. Um, just that, I'll definitely mark that in my calendar. But yeah, I, I think Norwich and Brentford. But you'd sign it, Bristol. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think they will surprise people. Um Quite honestly, unless unless they get a big spate of injuries. Yeah, I mean, we've obviously seen firsthand with Ollie Watkins how guys can come up from playing really good striking roles for Brentford and and do a job in the Premier League. And uh, there's there's some pressure on Tony, even though he's not kicked a ball in the Premier League yet. And I think he's the kind of character that's going to deliver on it. I've ultimately gone with the. The prediction I've gone at the bottom on the premise that things aren't going to change too dramatically, which is in some ways a stupid prediction because every Premier League season has these dramatic changes in it. And if uh, if Deitch is one of them, then yeah, Burnley, I don't see a way they can stay up, to be honest, without Sean Deitch. Um, whether or not his voice has got... Uh, has got old, as you say. I think he's one of those that if his voice has got old for some people, he just won't play those people anymore. And the organisation is kind of first and foremost, I would say. I think the transfer business, or the lack of it, is actually a a, a serious cause of concern for him as much as for, for Burnley. And it'd be less of a surprise to me if he walked in some senses. 
the main issue for Watford for me is that again you look at the the players they have and the ones that have they did well in the last Premier League season and did well in the promotion season and you know Saar is another one that people are looking at picking off again and this is the what the last four or five sides are going to have it's going to be a case of who can you hold on to because there's still 20 odd days left in the transfer window once one team makes a move then everybody else is going to start to compensate that's how it always works I must be honest, I've gone with Norwich to finish this low almost on almost on previous experience because I've seen a lot of good Norwich sides struggle in the Premier League. And I'm always reminded of something Paul Merson said about Carroll Road being a nice place to go and play. You know, you, you, you quite like going and playing there as an away player. I would like to see that proven wrong because Norwich are one of those sides when they're up who are generally a credit to the Premier League. And... For so long now, they have been that and dropped out and gone down without much of a say. And that's a shame. I think so, the yeah. blueprint is Swansea that season when they came up under Brendan Rodgers and they just played this like brilliant swashbuckling stuff and they finished, I can't remember they finished, was it eighth or ninth? I would love to see, <laughs> love to see. Nora. I mean, on Leeds, show you can do it as well, you know, last season. Um, and you wouldn't say that the Leeds squad was full of household names by any means. Um, yeah, Frank and Farker, whatever happens, they're going to be in those jobs for a long time because ultimately they built the clubs in their own image and they're going to be so much fun to watch. Like if I, you know, I really hope they're on TV as much as possible because I will make a point of watching them for an absolute certainty because they both play, both of those teams play fantastic football. All right, because I think we're all looking forward to some good football. And uh, I think that is the thing. I mean, there's no genuinely bad managers left in, in the league at this point. There's there's no Tim Sherwoods. Uh, his lawyers can contact me if they've got a problem with that. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you know, as a general, the, the standard of coaching has risen exponentially in the Premier League. And... We may say one coach is better than another. There may be some that are a bit ahead of their their club level, for for example. But I think we are looking at some really interesting stuff coming in the in the following year. And I'm willing to bet that we are wrong on at least three teams, even though we're fairly close on how we're going to predict them. As always, it's going to be an interesting Premier League season to follow the the ins and the outs of it. So with that said. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the season. We will be back with season three of Four at the Back in around a month's time. So plenty of time to bookmark us and uh, like and all that kind of stuff to get ready for it. Until next time, take care. We'll see you soon. Yeah.